This is the Sales Development Podcast, hosted by David Dember, powered by Timbound. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce episode 202, featuring Troy Barter, VP of Sales at Rentalmatics. Now, this episode kicks off with David and Troy discussing how Troy got started in sales, from car sales to door to door to B2B, and how he got started as an SDR when he made that transition from door to door to the tech sales world. Troy goes on to talk about how his past experience in door-to-door and car sales helped him when he transitioned into the B2B tech sales world and how his prior experience really turbocharged his performance as an SDR. At the 15-minute mark, David and Troy discuss the magic of putting in extra hours to see success, something that some business gurus might tell us to shy away from these days, not something that Troy is afraid to talk about. At the 25-minute mark, Troy goes on to talk about some key do's and don'ts for high-performing individual contributors who then become leaders, a storyline that we hear about all the time. And Troy specifically talks about learning how to have patience when encountering obstacles, something that I think everybody listening can take some value from. At the 35-minute mark, David and Troy get tactical on how Troy creates all of his fantastic social media content. And this is a glimpse inside of how Troy is running this content machine that he's got going. Be sure to listen to the entire episode. If you enjoy it, head over to tenbound.com, leave us a rating. But for now, enjoy episode 202 with Troy Barter, VP of Sales at Rentalmatics. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. This is David Denver, your host, and today we're going to be bringing some straight smoke with the one, the only, Troy Barter. Welcome to the show, Troy. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, you know, a little backstory, and I think it's kind of unique due to the fact that, you know, when I first ended up finding you on LinkedIn, it's I was scrolling down on a few different pages and just, I heard your voice. I heard your, I like to call it your beast mode. You were not only going hard on the paint, but you were bringing some value. And that's really hard to find today, right? And so, you know, when I had the opportunity to become one of the hosts here at uh, Tenbound, I'm like, you know what? Troy is definitely going to be someone I'm going to want to have on the show. So I'm just really grateful for your time. And, you know, I think the listeners out there definitely want to hear a little bit about you and Tell us a little bit about your story there, Troy. Yeah, for sure, man. So as far as my story in sales, I first got started in sales. I kind of traditionally or professionally would say that like, if I was to give you my LinkedIn story, I started in car sales, right? I started in 2006 in car sales, and then I moved over to -to door-to-door sales, and I moved up to national director of sales had an org of about 60 people. But if you've ever worked door-to-door sales, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're making a boatload of money. A lot of times, you know, contracts get pulled, things that were promised to you don't get delivered on. But the reality is I actually started a little bit before that. I've wrapped forever, which is kind of the, I think the presence of my voice kind of comes from is 
rapping live, definitely battling live in person is a part of that. And it's a bit of a cheat code to making content for sure. But I got into making beats and then I started selling them online. Back then it wasn't SoundCloud, it was SoundClick. And I would hop in and be like, oh, everyone's email is available on here. I could pull, this is probably 2003, maybe two, oh no, 2004. I could get everybody's email and I could just send them out and tell them how much I like their music. I did not listen to it. I sent them sending this out to hundreds of people, but like how great it is. I'd love to collaborate with them and how I can offer them a discount on beats, whether semi-exclusive or not. And I realized like, okay, and then I'll just keep track of people that respond to me. And those will be the people that are interested. And I didn't really know how to develop a sales funnel, but kind of realized like, oh, wait, like I could probably do sales. And that's what got me into car sales is like, I thought at the time that was the only type of sale. I didn't know of any other sales that existed outside of selling cars. So I got in, learned a good amount doing that for sure. Particularly, you know, the closing aspect of things, how to get a deal in. Like I said, moved over to -to door-to-door sales and made it up fairly high, but the money wasn't incredible. So it wasn't that tough for me to kind of humble myself and step down to an SDR role in tech sales. The way I always relate it when I got into tech sales is kind of like, if you've ever seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, you know, he happens to be sitting there and he knows all of the answers based on his life experience. Like it's just a fortunate, you know, coincidence that he happened to know it all already. And when I got in there and they gave me a script, it was like, oh, this is, you guys are doing an option close, just like we do in the car business, just like we do in door to door to get in the door. It's the same. Like when would be the best time for you to take a look at this later today or tomorrow? And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, I know exactly how to do that, but they didn't know how to do that. They had the script, but they didn't realize what they had. So I was able to run in and execute it, not change the strategy, but maybe change the tone of the execution and, you know, whip ass pretty quickly. You know, I was able to be probably within the top three of SDRs within my first month of starting. They had a mass exodus, their old RVP left. They needed AEs. I moved in an AE role within a month and a half. I was the top AE in the company going into sales conference, which was probably six months in. And then I became a director within 11 months of starting at Fleetmatics. Fleetmatics was eventually acquired by Verizon for $2.4 billion. Who wants to work for Verizon, right? That's not the fun, exciting. So I dipped once I vested and sort of locked out, moved over to PandaDoc, which is a competitor to DocuSign's digital signature. And they were very much a small startup at the time. And they turned into a unicorn, turned into a billion dollar company and almost like hitting the lottery twice on a smaller scale. It's definitely the odds of hitting the lottery twice and was fortunate to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to either do my own thing or if I see something that's enticing, I'll jump in and I'm kind of doing a little of both now. I wasn't intending on taking another job. I was intending on kind of building up my consulting and really building up my online presence, which is kind of how you found me. But Rentalmatics came calling and it was GPS tracking. It was Irish based, which is the same as Fleetmatics. I don't mind working with silicon based tech companies, but I don't know how much I really like working for them. As an employee, I was really excited about the Irish founding and that it's a little more not old school, but maybe a little bit different. Like, you know, they're actually profitable, you know, things like that. That isn't always the case nowadays, right? Yeah. It felt like something where I could come in and really help them on the sales side, grow something that was already doing really well. It's GPS tracking for rental companies. You know, their founder owned rental car companies, knew the pains better than anybody because he owned them. You know, his name's Colin Menton. And they have another founder, funny enough, his name is Thomas Brady, who's like the tech guy over there, which also was helpful. But they're tech and they know the pains from the business, but I would be 
the sales side of things. And I've sold very similar tracking at a high level at Fleetmatics for years. And it's like, oh, this kind of seems almost too good to be true. So, you know, candidly, I've kind of turned down some consulting roles lately while I'm, I'm helping build this out because I believe in the product, I believe in the market, and I've kind of seen the mountaintop already as far as, you know, what happened with Fleetmatics, which is where we're at now. Wow. I mean, it's such a fascinating story. And I think one of the questions that I have specifically is like, how would sales and rep, like walk me through that process? Because I think that's quite unique of how that really helps you prep for your sales calls and being an AE. Like, what does that look like? There's a lot of like lessons that you learn. You don't learn them from people when you rap. Everyone's kind of out for themselves. I have friends that, you know, are still battle rappers. You know, the champion king of the dot is a friend of mine and some other folks, but you really learn everything the hard way because it's kind of that old like, crabs in a bucket mentality. You know, you can't talk rap for long without people talking about, all right, well, who's your top 10? Everyone's being compared constantly and everyone wants to move up on whatever list that exists for what they're doing. So when it comes to like relating it to sales, the big thing that I learned, and it's partially public speaking, but it's really sales in general, is no audience wants you to suck. Like they're not hoping for you to fail. So from a public speaking perspective, it basically means like, you know, you're always worried like, oh, the crowd is judging me. No, they're not. Any crowd, you know, you think when you go to see anybody, whether it's a keynote speaker, whether it's a sales pitch, you're hoping that you get blown away. You're hoping that it's the best thing that you ever saw. No one's ever hoping for it to be bad. So you're actually playing with the house's money when you start. You don't have to really earn it as much as you think that you do. You already have the momentum without realizing it. And in battle rap, I learned like, man, my second and third round get way better than my first. Because in the first, I felt like I had to earn the momentum. And then once you hear the reactions and things get going, then all of a sudden I'm kicking ass. My second and third weren't better than my first. I usually made sure my first was the best round, but it's just a matter of how you sound and how confident you are. But if you realize that up front, it puts you in a really good position from a sales perspective as well, which is like, yeah, you're selling somebody, you want them to buy, but if they showed up, they showed up hoping that you can solve all their problems. It's kind of your deal to mess up at that point. And whether that's true or not, it's the right mindset to have to put you in the best position or in the business for sure. No, that's fascinating. I think that's amazing. It really helps you with that, you know, one-to-one personalization, giving the prospect that, you know, amazing experience, right? Because you not only did the research, like you said, within the rap battles, you kind of either looked around you or what shoes were they wearing? What watch were they wearing? What does their haircut look like? What do you know about their personal life? And you're able to spit fire, right? And I think it's just an amazing way to look at things and the way you look at sales. So big kudos to you. Yeah, man. It's kind of wild how transferable it is. Like I won't name names, but they're fairly well known. But without asking them, I wouldn't want to. But four battle rappers moved across the country to work with me when I worked at Fleet Maddox. All, if you follow battle rap, you'd know who they are, but they all succeeded three out of the four, this is now six years later, are still in sales. All of them are making six figures. It just comes down to like, when you have done something that difficult, getting hung up on just doesn't hurt the same way. It's the same as door-to-door sales. You've been out there knocking doors in the heat and people tell you to go F yourself and then you got to go to the next one or you got to get in your hot car and drive to the next you know, plaza if you're going business to business and small to medium business. Like, once you start cold calling, you're like, dude, I'm in AC. This is an air conditioned environment. This is nothing, you know, compared to that. 
it's good perspective, man, because the SDR role in the SaaS tech bubble is, oh my God, these are like, you know, you almost want to say thank you for your service. Like they're so above and beyond what everyone else has to do from a workload perspective, a stress perspective, a constantly failing and then eventually succeeding once in a while. But in the grand scheme of life, it's really not a hard job compared to a lot of things. It's hard compared to everything else in tech sales, but outside of that bubble, it's really not. And I think that perspective combined with being able to see the bigger picture as a sales development rep in terms of what's coming is really the difference maker in people that have a lot of success quickly and not for sure. You know, that's why I was able to succeed fast. I believed in the opportunity as an SDR. I was like, man, I've had bad opportunities. This ain't it. This is legitimate. And also like, I knew that this wasn't nearly as hard as the things that I had done before. So I had a lot of confidence I was going to succeed and failure wasn't an option. Yeah. I think that led to a lot of success quickly. No, I love that mindset, Troy. And I think a lot of SDRs out there are struggling with the fact that, you know, they feel if they end up getting hung up on, or they feel like they're spending so much time crafting the perfect email. Like what advice for the SDRs that are listening today that where you could be, you know, really help them compartmentalize the day-to-day and really how they can, you know, perfect their craft. So I like to give this advice now that I don't manage SDRs, at least I don't right now, because the advice that's the actual practical advice and the advice that a manager will give you are two different things. Because there's advice that a manager can't give you or else they're leaving themselves open to lawsuits and things like that. But the reality is this, if you're an SDR, you want to succeed as much as you possibly can during calling hours, during prospecting hours, when you can get a hold of somebody, either email or on the phone, you maximize that time with getting a hold of them. Everything else, as much as you can, you should be doing outside of those calling hours. So what does that mean? Well, you can't really recommend that if you're a manager of an SDR, because what you're telling them is you want them to work after hours and your company might not pay them overtime. So no one's ever going to recommend that, right? Because you can get sued. Trust me. I know you can <laughs> off of the smallest comment, it can turn into something enormous, you know, where you had no ill will or ill intentions. You just wanted to give people the recipe that worked for you. But the reality is if you want to move up, if you're like, well, I'm not going to do that stuff after hours, if the company isn't going to pay me the overtime, it's like you are a stone's throw away from six figure opportunities kind of forever. Like you're being very short sighted if that's what you're worried about. What I was worried about in that role, again, I had the foresight or the hindsight of knowing how trash other sales jobs are and how easy this one was comparatively. And also what the opportunity was right in front of me that was like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to succeed as fast as I can, just in case a meteor hits this place. I want to get promoted tomorrow. So what do I need to do? And what that resulted in was I changed the time that I went to sleep. I changed the time that I woke up. I made sure that if I had to organize follow-up, it wasn't during times when I could be calling people. And the times that I was calling people, I was calling as much as possible. So to relate it to the actual question, I would block off the times that I would call. That way it doesn't feel like you're doing a marathon, you know, where it's really hard to see the end in sight. I'd say, no, I'm going to do 40 calls right now. And back then it was a little more old school with your tech stack. I tabbed out the sales force, 40 of them and said, all right, I'm going to go through every one of these. And when I'm done, I'm going to get a coffee or I'll take a bathroom break then, or I'll go get a water. I'm going to get up. There's going to be a finish line. And then I'm going to take five minutes or something like that. I've definitely earned it. In an hour, I've done what most SDRs nowadays probably do their whole day. And I'm going to take that five, 10 minutes. And then I'm going to get back to, I'm going to do it again. 
and I'm going to keep going the entire day. I would have those little sprints throughout the day, you know, and then we have a power hour four to five and that was non-negotiable. I wasn't getting up at all then. And I was really not tabbing anything out then. It was how many can I hit? Let's keep track of it. The most I had done in a day, I think was like 300 dials, which were manual. This was not on a dialer or anything like that. And it was off of paper list. So it's a little bit faster, but you're manually dialing the numbers at the end of the day. That's the best advice that I can give SDRs. And I really like to give it out now because when I'm managing them, I can't give it to them, but it's the best advice possible. Someone that has no dog in the fight and only wants you to succeed. That's the best advice I can give them. Take advantage of the fact that no one's going to tell your peers to do that. And you can whip their ass, you know, in a positive team way, but it is a bit of a competition, right? You're still friends with them. You know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were friends, but you're still able to take advantage of the fact that companies are not going to give you the best advice that you can get because it leaves them vulnerable. No, I totally agree with that. I've actually run into that myself where, you know, management is saying, hey, clock in, clock out at this time, no more than eight hours in a day. Yep. The manager is really saying, hey, still go beast mode because the manager is ultimately getting, you know, commission off their efforts, but they can't. There's that legal aspect, which I totally understand. But it's like, you know, what's the saying there, Troy, about the people that, you know, work after hours, working in the dark is really where the magic happens. I mean, there's a specific saying. Yeah. But you know, and I like, it's definitely not the flavor of the year, right? Like you go on LinkedIn now. It's why I kind of like TikTok a bit, but I like LinkedIn too, but you know, you go on LinkedIn and it's scary V empathy is delicious. You know, like you shouldn't work any more than you should work less hours. Actually, we should be looking into taking that Friday off. And to me, it's like, cool, if that works for you and it matches your goals and it's fulfilling to you and you can get the job done by all means. If you are one of those old school hustlers though, and you want more, and that's your goals, you can take advantage of those people that are doing that. And both can be fine, right? They can both live within the same world. But the reality is like, not everyone is going to lean on that new LinkedIn. We don't have to work that hard. We shouldn't have to work that hard. There will always be people that'll say, wait a minute, I can outwork them and I can beat them. And sales is still a production industry. It's based on your performance. It's performance-based. So I can go ahead and take advantage of that. And there'll always be someone like me to explain to them how to do it that did it as well, you know? And maybe I'm just, you know, one of many, you know, it is what it is, but I'm going to keep doing it, man. No, and I totally respect that. And we dug in a little bit about the phone call. Now, Talk to me a little bit about like the multi-thread approach. And so like what I mean by that is, you know, in your mind, cold calling is not dead, correct? I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, it'll never die. You know, the only people that say that it's dead either don't like to cold call, they don't like to get cold calls, or they're from marketing. So they don't want to be replaced by cold calls. It's one of three. I totally get that. I'm a firm believer personally in cold calls, but also mixing it in with, you know, LinkedIn, voicemail, email, the multi-thread approach. Like, tell, Walk me through like how you would not only call somebody, but let's say they don't pick up. Do you hang up, then call back, and then leave a voicemail for an action? Like, Kind of walk me through those steps in your mind, how you kind of go through that. 
So what I've seen lately, and I tend to agree with it based on my experience when I'm cold calling, is that you never expect to get anything off of a voicemail other than the fact that you can leverage it. That's really all that that voicemail is. I think, and if it's not him, I keep giving him credit for it, and hopefully I'm not you know, wrecking it, but his approach. But Morgan Ingram, I think, says when it comes to the voicemail, because a lot of times you're reaching people's mobile number nowadays, you know, and it's a great approach, ups your connect rate. Most people don't listen to that voicemail. Most people might read the text on it. So make sure that when you're leaving that voicemail, it's something that's digestible in text form. I might take it a slight step a little bit further and say like, you know, what's the biggest joke when it comes to texting? Like, you know, your significant other, you know, you're in trouble if they send you that wall of text and no one wants to read it, right? So if you're leaving a long voicemail, it kind of looks the same way. It should be succinct, quick, to the point, you know, and the reality is you're probably getting nothing off of that. But cold calling doesn't feel like cold calling as much if you're leveraging a past attempt to connect with them. So if you say, hey, I was calling, you know, I don't know if you got a voicemail that I left you a couple of days ago. All of a sudden, that's slightly less of a cold call because you already left a voicemail. It sounds weird, but it is. And I've had people that they'll interact with something on LinkedIn and then they'll reach out to me and say, hey, I don't know if you saw I commented on something. And I feel like they're less of a cold call already. Like I have some level of odd familiarity with them, even if I don't. And that's also what a lot of email does. You know, email doesn't have the most fantastic conversion rates, but then when you call, you can reference the email. And the second email generally has a better conversion rate than the first one. And you don't even really have to be creative. You can kind of bump it. And that approach seems to work really well. You know, Jed Marley, that's what he recommends to me when I hit him up and he's like, what are you doing this second email? Do you do the bump approach? And he's like, yeah, that feels like what's getting the best response. LinkedIn, to me, it's just, you don't pitch slap for sure. You don't connect and pitch right away. Whenever I get those, I don't pay attention to them. Even if it's something that I need, because I just don't respect the process as a salesperson. You got to come better than that. You have options. You have audio. You've got video as an option. Those get phenomenal response rates. When people reach out to me, which a lot of them kind of do now about the content that I'm putting out, I almost always try to respond in either audio or video. I'm not trying to convert them on anything. I just feel like if they took the time to say something nice to me, then it's kind of cool to personalize it. But from an outreach perspective, it's the same concept. If someone sends me a video, I play it every time. If I get an email, I usually don't make it past a line or two, you know, so it's a solid approach, you know, but it's a mix of everything. Where are you going to actually get your conversions on? Where's the rubber meet the road? It's the phone. The goal with all of your other touch points should be to get them onto the phone. It should not be to replace the phone. You know, I see people on email and they're like, yep, I almost got this one. I just got to qualify it. A couple more emails back and forth. I'll have this booked in five days. You can have that done in five minutes on the phone. Why aren't you just getting them on the phone? Their numbers and their signature. You haven't tried to call them once? Like, what are we talking about? You know, if you have to do it on email, great, but you should be at least making attempts. It's going to speed your process up. And the reality is you're going to get better context than you'll ever get on text. No, for sure. I think back to Gary V for a second is that's a soft skill that you have, Troy, is that, you know, showing the respect to somebody that reached out to you by sending a voice message back. Not a lot of people do that. So, so good on you. For them. Uh, so that yeah, definitely a soft skill there. But, you know, one of the things that I continue to think about when people, you know, personally come to me and ask for advice, and this is something I think that I can ask you and for our listeners is what are those things that like, what are those failures, right? People don't talk a lot about, they talk about, Hey, look at, I did this and I did this, but no one talks about where the struggles were. So can you walk me through like some of the struggles early on in your career? And maybe it can motivate, you know, some SDRs moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I kind of alluded to one, which is the advice that I can give now that I wouldn't give as a manager. 
you know, long story short, I did give that advice as a manager coming from door to door sales, hourly rate. What are we talking about? It's commission only. You know, you tell them to send a Sunday email and you send a Sunday email. It takes 10 minutes, no big deal. You tell somebody to send a Sunday email and you work for a billion dollar company, that gets a different reaction, you know, and that was a massive mistake that was actually like well intentioned in reality. So it's kind of hard to really derive a lesson from that because outside of the fact that you should kind of know what's procedural and how to protect yourself from a legal perspective. Yeah. I wouldn't change what I did in reality if it wasn't for that. I still think that it was the right advice. You know, one thing I can definitely say from a leadership perspective where I absolutely fell on my face. I won't name the company and you actually won't find it on my LinkedIn. It's the beauty of LinkedIn is that you get to decide what's on there and what's not. But worked for a company. This was not extraordinarily long ago. And I came in. This is the first time that I didn't come in to fix a problem that already existed. I came in and they already had a team and their team was, you know, based on their plan was whipping ass. And the first thing I saw was my target was twice as much as my team's target put together. And I was like, that's odd. That's generally the opposite. Usually your belt and suspended and everything like that. And I saw a million things that they were doing that needed to be fixed quickly. And I'll give you an example. When an inbound came in, their philosophy was they never called, they emailed. And they may get to that email in 48 hours, 72, you know, it might be a bit. And I couldn't help myself but to try to fix those things quickly. I think this is where people can fail as a leader if you were a really high level individual contributor, which I was, you know, is you see a problem, you want to fix that problem right away. As a leader, you stepped into their house. You're kind of a guest still, whether or not you're on the lease or you're a roommate. And it's the old John Maxwell. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You should have mastered their process ahead of time. I should have made a way heavier personal investment in each person and got to know them better and had them writing for me first. And I didn't realize to do that because it was the first time that I took over a team on Zoom. I actually never met them the entire time I was there. It's a lot easier when I'm in person with somebody to say, let's go to lunch. Let's go grab a drink after work, you know, team night, whatever. And I think that I have a personality where if we go out and have lunch or have a drink, people can kind of get to realize quickly that I'm invested in them and I care, but it's hard to translate that to Zoom. And I think the lesson is I should have taken a lot more time with those reps before trying to change anything. I probably should have taken a quarter or two. I should have taken my own advice, which is that, you know, results are actually secondary to your success in sales. The question isn't whether or not you beat everyone today. The question is, is your personal brand stronger at the end of the day with your peers, your managers, and the people below you than it was at the start of the day? And if the answer is yes, you'll win long-term. And that doesn't always mean that you had the best results. Results are part of it. It's definitely a part of your brand. It's a big part of your brand if you're in sales and you carry a number, but it's beyond not the only part. That's something that I had to learn where it's like, man, I just want results quick. I want to deliver. But when you're a manager and you get in there, depending on the scenario, how fast you deliver the results is secondary to whether or not you laid the groundwork to be able to consistently deliver those results with the people that you know, you're leading now. I know it's a long answer, but I'd say that's one of my larger failures. And I mean, candidly, that was pretty recently. That was not a long time ago. Yeah, man. I'd say you just invest in your people and really care about them and get to know them and make sure that they care a little bit about you before 
you'll leap into making changes or else it's going to be met with a brick wall, whether or not you're right. Being right is secondary too. I think that that's a vulnerable answer and a way of like describing it. And I think it's phenomenal the way you talk to that because it is difficult during COVID being able to have, you know, some leaders want to have virtual cocktails, but I mean, even then you can't get the body postures or you can make facial expressions, but it's not the same in context of how did the facial expression when you're out at a bar with a buddy, with other people on the outside, you don't get that real time effect. So it is very difficult. I think you were handed something that was already set up for failure. So that's something I appreciate the accountability that you took, but at the same time, it's like lessons that are being learned. So that's good on you, Troy. Funny what you said, man, there actually reminded me of a second part of it that I do actually blame myself for as well, which is a lot of that was partially out of my control. The team was definitely a bunch of prima donnas that thought they were better than they really were, and they weren't doing the right thing, and their number was wildly lower than it should have been. But I should have vet that when I interviewed. I should have known when they put me through two different interview rounds with the account executives that I was going to manage so they could vet me that there's a red flag here, which is, you know, I really like Ed Milet. And one of the things that I heard him say was, you don't get to pick how you're coached. And he's exactly right. If you want coaching, all right, well, I'm a square peg. So if you're expecting me to fit the round hole, no, if you want the coaching from me, There's a little bit of a give and take here where you're going to have to receive the way I deliver. I've been doing this for a long time, you know, and I should have caught that my slightly old school approach would have to be wildly changed for me to have success. And the reality is I don't want to change it. I'm pretty cool with the way that I'm doing it now. And I think it's part of the reason I'm so like energized to do stuff on social media right now is because the following is proving my point for me. I'm less malleable now. I'm less changing myself and I'm more myself than I've ever been online, whether or not it's going to help my career. Honestly, it's just because that's how I want to be. And it's met with more positive reception than it was when I tried to be something that I'm not. And I realized, man, screw it. I'm never doing that again. I'd rather work for myself than change I believe in positive growth, but I also believe that what I'm doing resonates with the people that are like-minded and sales is full of people that are like-minded in all different walks of life, by the way. You know, I have followers that are, you name it in terms of, you know, preference, gender, you know, race, religion, you know, it's a bit of everything. So it's definitely not just speaking to one group by any stretch, but yeah, man, I should have vet the opportunity better. I get into, and I think I might be a minority here, but when I interview, I love sales so much. And I was an individual contributor for so long that I just want to close the deal. I want to sell them on me. I want to get them pumped about me. That's just kind of my personality. Like, and I'll often forget to vet where I'm going, like way more than I should, because I just, oh shit, you're giving me reasons to close this. You just gave me pain that I know how to close on. Let's go. I'm going to get this deal closed. It's like, well, wait a minute. Do I even want the deal? I haven't qualified. I'm moving too quickly. You know, I'm selling them on me and they haven't sold me on them. I think there's something to that, that as you move up, you need to keep in mind 
it's not all about you selling yourself. You've got to vet those opportunities because it's going to look pretty catastrophic if you don't do that a couple of times and all of a sudden, oh, wow, you worked at two places for a combined total of seven months. You're the problem. And it's like, you may be partially the problem, but it might be more the fact that you're a shitty interviewer. You didn't vet the opportunities. You might be a great employee at the wrong place. No, I think you hit it right on the head there because I have actually a similar story myself. And I think, you know, as much as we want to interview the company or as much as they want to interview us, we need to be interviewing the company yeah. that much more and doing more due diligence yeah. and understanding, ask those additional questions of, you know, over the past year, what's the team quota look like? How much has that increased over the last X, Y, and Z quarters, right? Like really trying to dig yeah. about the culture because a lot of companies pitch culture, but there's not really a culture. So like, you know, asking that additional question of being like, you know, learn from their mission statement, learning from like how they really, how the business is actually being run. So I think that that's awesome that that was a learning lesson. I can relate to that. And, you know, that's great insight there, Troy. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, man. I mean, not to be negative, but you got to keep in mind, like every interview you have, the company's kind of going to lie to you. You know, like they're never going to tell you exactly what's going on. It's never going to happen. They're going to put at least a veneer on it. It might not be lying, but they're going to withhold information. It's up to you to ask more questions to get down to it and figure that out. It's not on them in reality. They don't have to tell you everything. They just have to tell you, you know, a reasonable facsimile of the facts is what most companies are going to do. Oh, hey, I noticed that a VP changed. Are they going to say, yeah, we caught him in the office doing coke? We had yeah, to fire no, you're no. Right, no. And no. by the way, that's our culture. A bunch of our reps do it also, and they're out of their mind. You know, like, are they ever going to say that? No. You got to get an idea of that and understand that through asking a boatload of questions, you know, and don't feel like you're going to lose the deal because you're asking them because it's not a deal that you would have wanted to begin with if that's the way that you would lose it. It's definitely something I've learned the hard way for sure. No, thanks for the insight there. And like, just to do just kind of a transition here, you know, overall, once again, talked about your high performance, you know, you're pushing out so much content, right? And the way that you bring in that a little bit of Eminem comedy, right? Like when he first started spitting some music videos, you're acting like different people. How long has that taken you to push that content out on TikTok and organize all that? Or are you freestyling it? When you wake up in the morning, you know, hey, I'm going to talk about this today. Are you looking at trends? Like there's so many things that I want to ask, but I'll let you kind of tell a little bit of a story of how you think about content and how you push it out. So I tried to script it. Like I even have like, this is a teleprompter. I tried scripting. It sucked. I wasn't giving eye contact to the camera. And I used to do blogs to set up my battles. It used to be a big website, which is now defunct, called rapmusic.com, which is actually where I kind of came up in rap before I even battled live. And I would take a blog and hype up the bat, essentially, like run a promo, you know, which, you know, you can see the belt behind me. I'm, you know, pretty big fan of pro wrestling growing up for sure. And I realized through kind of running through those different promos and everything like that that scripting is not really the best way to do it if you're doing that type of content. To me, the best way is having an idea what you want to say. It's like Curb Your Enthusiasm versus Seinfeld, right? Seinfeld was pretty much completely scripted. Curb was, you know, improv for the most part, but they had an idea where they wanted the scene to go, which is kind of the same thought process where it's like, okay, I want to talk about 
one that I'm going to do later today. All right. The only approach is to be all in. Meaning most people, when they start their job, they have one foot in their new job and one foot in the old one where they're like, oh, that's not the shit we used to do over there. And they're thinking that while they're at the new job. And it's like, well, you're not all in, you're not bought in. And you might even be right about that, but that's not a recipe for success. Recipe for success is jump in the pool and master everything that they're already doing before you ever consider adding to the game and trying to get cute and creative with it. But the only effective bet on yourself is all in. You know, so if you're half in and you're half out, you're going to get zero results compared to what you could get, you know, but that's just an idea. Right. And then I just get in there and I just, you know, I'll record part of it. I'll have an idea of it. And they're like, oh, that was kind of, that was okay. We'll do it again. And it might take for me to do a minute long. It might take me 10 to 15 minutes to actually record it because I keep recording and then stopping it. And then I'll do another one and then I'll keep going. It's part of the reason why there's so many cuts. Part of it is because it helps with engagement when people see you in a different place or something like that, like transitions help. So I've heard as a 38 year old on TikTok, it supposedly helps people to watch the video longer, but also like, I'm not going to do it for a minute straight and mess up, which is actually what I used to do when I do those blogs to hype battles up. I didn't cut it all. So I might be out there for an hour to do a three minute blog because if I messed up, I'm starting over at the beginning. Now I only have to start back 10 seconds, you know? So that's the approach, man. And it is partially from battle rap for sure. It is a grind. Like I started before I started working at Rentomatics and I was just doing this. Like I was putting out sometimes six videos a day. Now I put out one a day. And even sometimes, like I said, like I should already have that one done, but I had too much stuff to do. Like where I'm going to have to just do that. I'll figure out a way to be able to do that one. It's easy for me now. And I said this in a video because like, dude, I get like 10, 20 messages a day from people saying how much they like it. So like, that's really motivating. Like of like, oh, well, shit. Like this is, I'm seeing, they're getting a return off of what I'm doing. If you've been in sales long enough, you know, it is not a thankless job, but sometimes it can feel pretty close to it. You know, where in my goal when putting out that content was like, man, I feel like I know all this stuff. I feel like I know how to motivate people. And I just feel like none of it's out there. No one knows. Unless I managed you, you have no clue. Like, it's like, I just want it out there. I want my flag in the ground of like, yeah, I've got all this. Like I can help motivate and I can, you know, help people learn a bit and kind of go through an easier path than I had as well. So yeah, man, again, long-winded answer, which is probably why I'm better suited for what I do now than than probably sales because I am long-winded and I like to talk for sure. That's one thing I admire about you because you have so many golden nuggets. I mean, I know we discussed a lot of things today, but you're the one of the realest guys I know. You say it like other people won't say the things that are you know, on the table. So like best analogy, and you might not like the analogy, but that resonates with me is like, you're the Stephen A. Smith of sales. You get passionate. You say what others might not. Same thing with like Eminem when he first came up. I know you liked him early on where you, you know, agreed with Chronic and you liked that album. Maybe not so much today, but overall, like you're saying the things no one else is wanting to say. That's something I admire about you. It's something to keep in mind, especially for people that like they live on LinkedIn. SaaS tech sales is an echo chamber and a bubble. LinkedIn is also that. So you will find 15 different well-followed influencers, thought leaders, kind of saying the same thing, or it's the same vibe. And if you don't leave LinkedIn, you're going to get a feeling that like, that's kind of the only way that you're able to be, you know, it curtailed my rap career. I got into underground hip hop and like, I just wanted to be like them. And it's like, all right, well, like, you realize that that's cool, but they're not moving any units, you know, and it's kind of the same with LinkedIn. Like a few of them are, but like, 
And then you look at the people that that same vibe would hate, right? What's Grant Cardone doing? I don't know. Millions of followers, right? Yeah, but I don't like all of his stuff. Shitload of people do though. A lot of them do. In fact, a lot more than the guy that you like or the gal that you like. So why is that? Well, he might be a little more rough around the edges sometimes, you know, might be willing to say something that the other one's not willing to say. It might be a harsh reality that their audience doesn't want to hear. Brad Lee, I think is similar where it's like, man, you hear some of his stuff and it's like, man, this is really self-serving. I don't even know if I believe that this story actually happened. Man, it sounded cool how he said it though. Like, and it's a different, like it's accountability and it's something that feels like people are trying to shave the edges off of, but it's pretty easy to look at the market and see that the demand is there. And it's not going anywhere also, you know, and I think that's part of the approach is I realize, like, oh, I don't have to be something that I'm not. It's cool to grow as a person, but it's also cool to be yourself, you know, and if you can do both of those, that's generally the people that whip the most ass, in my opinion. And it's the ones that I follow for sure. You've heard it first. I mean, we got Troy Barter, you know, thank you so much for joining us today and want to give you a second. If you're not following Troy, you're missing out. He obviously dropped some of the hottest sales tips within the LinkedIn community and TikTok. But Troy, if you want to have a couple drops, this is your time. Yeah, for sure. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can always reach out to me. That's easier than TikTok. I accept every connection. Just Troy Barter, you can connect with me. If you're on TikTok, you're going to get more from me on TikTok than LinkedIn because LinkedIn's algorithm is basically you want to do one post a day. You do more than that, good luck. And there's some stuff that is a little over the top for LinkedIn. I can curse a lot more on TikTok and feel okay with it where there's more content on TikTok than I have on LinkedIn in reality. But it's the same thing. You search Troy Barter, my name will pop up on there. I go live on there a good amount as well, try and answer any questions and everything like that. And feel free to reach out. You know, If you've got a specific question, I try to answer it within the day. I get a lot of them lately, but yeah, I'm down to help. That's what I'm here for. And if you're enjoying what I'm doing, I feel like I you know, probably don't actually owe it to you, but I feel like I owe it to you to help you out if you have a question. So just hit me up. You've heard it first, Troy Barter, the realest guy I know. Thank you so much for joining a sales development podcast and look forward to more content coming soon, my brother. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.